Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, March 26. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. President Joe Biden outlining his plan to tackle a number of crises as he addressed the media for the first time since taking office. And with more than 546,000 people now dead from COVID-19 here in the U.S., the vaccine rollout continues to expand. Pfizer announcing trials for children as young as five years old. And a gun shop owner in Colorado now saying that the suspect in the mass shooting passed a background check. That suspect now facing 10 counts of murder. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We began in Washington and President Biden holding his first press conference since taking office, facing difficult questions from the number of migrants at the border to gun violence and to how to respond to Republicans trying to block his agenda. Edwin Pitti has the latest. Edwin. That's right, Carolina. I can tell you the Biden's first press conference as president comes 64 days after he moved into the White House. And in this exchange with reporters, he set a new goal to give 200 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine during his first 100 days in office. He gave no definite answer about presenting a gun control legislation, but what took most of his time was the border crisis. Please stand. Thank you. Thank you. President Joe Biden said that he will not allow unaccompanied minors who cross the border to go hungry, but said his administration is working with Mexico to deport all adults who cross the border illegally. They should all be going back. Immigration dominated Biden's first news conference, during which the president recognized it's a problem without quick solutions. We ran into a pair of siblings who came in on Monday. Biden was pressed by our own Janet Rodriguez about Leslie Casco Flores' case, whose children were detained at the border on Monday, but has yet to be contacted by border agents. Casco Flores only learned of the voice attention when Univision reporters called her upon meeting the seven and nine-year-olds at the border. We're in the process of rearranging and providing for the personnel needed to get that done. The president saying that in a month, these calls should take place in less than 48 hours, that he knows that most of the detained minors are teens, but even then, no minors should be in Border Patrol custody for more than 72 hours. He talked about a direction given to his border staff. But I said, focus on the most vulnerable immediately. Biden blamed the previous administration for the situation at the border and said he would not apologize for reversing Trump's immigration policies, actions that some critics have said led to an influx of migrants at the southern border. And so I make no apologies for that. Biden denied that his messaging is inviting more migrants to come. Senate Republicans. When asked if he has talked to Senate Republicans threatening to solve immigration legislation until he controls the rising numbers of migrants at the border, he said this. No, because I know they have to posture for a while. But I, I'm ready to work with any Republican who wants to help solve the problem or make, make the situation better. Biden vowed to restore the American economy through his Build Back Better plan, pledging to go big on infrastructure, and also made headlines by saying that it was his intent to run for re-election in 2024 beside 
Vice President Kamala Harris. We are reporting live in Washington, D.C. Carolina, back to you. And thank you for the live report, Edwin PT. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, the Senate Judiciary Committee is deadlocked in a party-line vote on the nomination of Vanita Gupta to be Associate Attorney General. Thursday vote was a tie 11 to 11. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer will now have to take procedural steps to advance her nomination to the Senate floor. Gupta is expected to get the support of moderate Democrat Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Republicans have vocally opposed Gupta's nomination, accusing her of being, quote, extreme. And also on Capitol Hill, by an overwhelming vote on Thursday, the Senate extended the Paycheck Protection Program until May 31st. The program was originally set to expire at the end of March. Businesses have until the end of May to get their applications into the Small Business Administration. Under the PPP Extension Act, small businesses hit hard by the pandemic can apply for funds to help with their payroll. The loans can be forgiven. Now the bill goes to President Biden to be signed into law. The SBA has made nearly $196 billion in paycheck protection loans since the beginning of the year. A company that makes technology for voting machines is suing Fox News for over a billion dollars. Dominion Voting Systems filed a $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against the conservative channel. The company says and claims Fox News participated in a disinformation campaign against it during the 2020 election. Former President Trump asserted that the election was rigged against him. According to the company Dominion, allies of the former president, including Fox News, then promoted conspiracy theories about Dominion to support Trump's claims. A Fox spokesperson said the network was proud of his 2020 election coverage and will vigorously defend against this baseless lawsuit in court. The company is the second to sue Fox News. Smartmatic filed a $2.7 billion lawsuit in February. And now to Colorado, the suspect in this week's mass shooting made his first court appearance Thursday. He's facing 10 counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. Rafael Rodriguez has all the details. Handcuffed and in a wheelchair from a gunshot wound to his right thigh, the suspect in the Boulder, Colorado mass shooting appeared for the first time as a defendant. The 21-year-old sitting alert as a judge read his rights in the courtroom. Sir, do you understand those rights as I've explained them to you this morning? I need you to answer out loud, please. Yes. Okay. That was the only time he spoke in the 10-minute hearing. The man is charged with 10 counts of murder for the 10 innocent lives lost at the supermarket. Prosecutors also filing an 11th charge of attempted first-degree murder for Officer Richard Stidell. Officer Stidell was one of the first responding officers describing being shot at by the gunman as he saw fellow officer Eric Talley fatally wounded. We will be filing additional charges in the next couple weeks. The Boulder County District Attorney says those charges will come after investigators who are still processing the scene finish collecting all the evidence. Meanwhile, the public defender indicating a possible future defense. We cannot begin to assess the nature and depth of Mr. Elisa's mental illness until we have the discovery from the government. Mental illness and school years filled with being bullied for being Muslim, according to the man's brother who saw him growing increasingly paranoid. 
His attorney so far, however, not discussing his current mental state. What sort of state is he in right now? A law enforcement source telling CNN investigators are scrubbing through his social media presence, among them posts like this one, where he complained, if these racist Islamophobic people would stop hacking my phone and let me have a normal life, I probably could. Across Boulder, memorials to remember the victims and 10 families unable to process the loss, including the sister of Officer Tally. In an act to mark the end of Officer Tally's watch... My mother called me and... She was just screaming, and she said his daughter had called her, his young daughter, and said, Nana, Daddy, Daddy's dead. Like, this is not okay. Like, it's not okay that I'm burying my brother. The Boulder Police Department used the fallen officer's handcuffs to formerly place the shooting suspect into custody, tweeting, Though this was a small gesture, we hope it is the start of a healing process that so many of us need at this time. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Thank you, Rafa, for that report. And today we are learning that a gun store owner near Denver says that the suspect who purchased the semi-automatic rifle at his store did in fact pass a background check. He says he'll be cooperating with authorities during their investigation. And a Georgia man arrested inside an Atlanta grocery store while heavily armed will stay behind bars. Thursday, a judge ordered Rico Marley to be held in jail with no bond. The 22-year-old is accused of entering a public supermarket with six firearms and a body armor. A witness called police and officers took him into custody as he exited the store's bathroom. According to the police report, Marley had four handguns, a rifle and a shotgun on him. All of them were loaded. He faces several charges, including five counts of criminal attempt to commit a felony. The incident comes just days after a man shot and killed 10 people inside a Colorado grocery store. The challenge at the U.S. border continues as hundreds of families and unaccompanied minors have been forced to wait for extended periods of time to be transported to their next destination. Pedro Rojas is in La Jolla, Texas with the latest. Pedro. Well, definitely this is the scene on the southwest border. And as you can see, while the Biden administration is talking about opening at least two military bases to host these families that are to the border. Let me talk to one family that just arrived from Honduras. They have been waiting on this side of the road over six hours to be picked up by the Border Patrol. They are being told that the Border Patrol basically doesn't, doesn't have enough buses to carry them all. Now, let me talk to this mother. She just came from Honduras overnight with her daughter. She speaks English. Her name is Leslie Contreras. Leslie, how are you doing? Uh, not really good right now, you know. So I had three days and not sleeping very good. Uh, we sleep on the floor uh, for three nights. Uh, yesterday, uh, somebody did help us uh, for food in Mexico because before the way somebody did to rob my my money, my phone, and I lose all my clothes too. I had like one week with these clothes. Wow, Leslie. So tell me about uh, uh, how your journey has been. Uh, you decided to come with your daughter. You speak English. You said that your husband is it's in the military. He's deployed overseas. Uh, what told, what prompted you to come? 
Yeah, he's not my husband. We had a daughter together, but he didn't help me with her paper, with her last name. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you decided to go ahead and come? Hmm? You decided to come? Yes, come. I decided to come over here because I told him many times I help you with my daughter's paper because she can have many opportunities here in USA mm -hmm. uh, so I had a problem in yeah. Honduras gotcha. uh, she was a bilingual school and I had a little business over there and somebody went to rob I lose my car I lose everything over I there uh, that war Leslie now for our viewers how many hours have you been waiting to be picked up here right here uh, signed last night 12 so it's about that night. six hours Six mm. hours a week more. or more or yeah, more. more. Wow. Leslie, thank you so much and good luck to you and your daughter. Okay. Welcome to thank America. You. As okay. you can see, this is the reality. And let me just show you around though. You can see the families that are waiting. This is what's taking place in the southwest border. Back to you. Thank you, Pedro, for that information and for that report from the border. And in other immigration news, CBP is not giving COVID tests to migrant families in their facilities. Instead, that task is falling to non-governmental agencies and contractors. The Biden administration outlined how the process works on Thursday. If a family is positive, they are typically placed in quarantine by a non-governmental organization. Unaccompanied children, meanwhile, will be tested if they are transported to HHS intake centers. More of your news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. And now to Alabama, where a decisive day is coming up for Amazon workers in that state. They will vote on whether or not to form a union. Labor organizers and advocates see the final and the fight as a potential turning point in that region. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is expected to attend a rally outside of the warehouse. Let's go live to Janice Fine, professor at Rutgers University School of Management and Labor Relations. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Professor, why is this vote a potential turning point for Amazon workers? Look, Amazon workers have been working under conditions of enormous stress since at least 2015. Um, and there are reports that stretch back to 2014, 13, 12, a combination of um, those who were directly employed by Amazon and temporary workers who have had um, really hard experiences in Amazon warehouses. Health and safety challenges um, are huge uh, for this workforce. And more recently, um, you know, these are these have become uh, Amazon is using 21st century technology to engage in, um, you know, 19th century sweatshop practices. And what has been Amazon's position? Have they pushed back? 
Well, I mean, the, the point is, if you work in an Amazon warehouse right now, let's take the Bessemer warehouse, you're in a situation where uh, you're in an enormous space, you are being um, surveilled in a turbocharged way, so that everything you do, every minute you take is being, um, is being surveilled. And there's, you know, it's sort of like they feel like a robot and um, they feel like they're being managed by an algorithm. And so uh, it's not it's not uh, easy for uh, an Amazon worker to know how to to um, to raise issues and, and how to get, um, you know, some relief from this um, relentless, um, you know, uh automation uh you know management um system that they're under the surveillance system so uh that's why this is a, a turning point why this is such an important moment is that uh after years of amazon warehouses being a problem and now a huge leap forward for amazon in the last year um just in terms of their profit margin and you know the numbers the incredible numbers of workers who work for amazon now right at certain points they've been hiring more you know close to three thousand workers a day right in that situation uh they are they've grown enormously and they're using techniques to manage the workforce that are just backward now, Professor, is labor union organizing in southern states more difficult compared to progressive states, you believe? Well, let's be clear. Union organizing is really hard no matter where you are. Uh, it's difficult all over the country because over the last 25 years, 30 years, um, there's been an enormous uptick in uh, union busting, very, very well supported union busting and there are many things that employers can do uh that are legal but shouldn't be um but that really erode um the the democratic right to a union uh you know these are these are uh conditions under which workers really can't make a democratic choice for a union we wouldn't tolerate this behavior if these were elections um but they are tolerated every day in american workplaces so your question is right you know there's no question that uh, a union organizing drive against the most powerful, uh, you know, company in the in the world right now, uh, and uh, in one of the places that's the hardest to organize. You know, Alabama is not only, you know, very low rate of unionization. It also has it doesn't uh, enforce its own labor law. It doesn't enforce labor laws. It defaults to the federal, and it has the lowest levels of employment regulations. Uh, among the the very bottom of the 50 states in terms of employment regulation um, and um, and enforcement of of basic employment protections, so it couldn't be a tougher place. Right. Uh, then, it just about couldn't be a tougher place. I think. And now, Professor, could this vote impact other workers across the country, even those who do not work for Amazon? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge. Uh, there's a huge increase in warehouse work in general, and Amazon tops them all, right? Um, uh, in terms of just the the huge uh, size of the workforce, and you know, there's no question but that it would be a huge shot in the arm for workers that are anywhere distributed along uh, the logistics industry, and really for for all workers. I, I think that the issue, though, is that um, whether or not these workers ultimately win or lose. 
And I just have to say that um, they are getting hammered every day by anti-union messaging. Every day, day in and day out, there's enormous intimidation. Um, you know, there's there's enormous propagandizing and, you know, um, captive audience. You know, there's just one thing after another that's making it very difficult uh, for workers there. So it just has to be clear that the fact that they've that they've gotten this far in Bessemer, Alabama, the fact that there is going to be um, an election, um, that there's going to be a vote, the fact that workers stepped forward and organized a union, win, lose, or draw, they're already won. And um, the history of the labor movement of the U.S. is a series of, of, you know, attempts to breach the wall, kind of failing forward. And this may well be, you know, another moment like that where, uh, you know, these workers are going to are gonna contribute. So it would be terrible if people could conclude that a loss means it's the end of organizing Amazon. This is only the beginning. It is only the beginning. Thank you so much for your time. Janice Fine, professor at Rutgers University School of Management and Labor Relations. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. Thank you.